Are you aware of the new question on your IRS 1040 tax return? Did you check yes? You most likely should. Virtual currency goes way beyond your blockchain investments. Find out more from Clinton Donnelly of Donnelly Tax Law. No one ever wants to be audited, and Clinton is going to tell you some strategies to help you avoid the possibility of being audited. Something every investor should be looking into. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. Hello, Clinton. Thanks for coming on today. Well, it's a pleasure being here, Joe. I appreciate it. Can you give us some background about yourself and what led you to getting into the tax industry? Well, uh, I got my advanced law degree in international financial regulations, which uh, would sound crazy to most people, but it it's immediately relevant to the crypto tax space. I started doing tax preparation work for Americans living abroad and people who own foreign corporations. And then starting in 2018, I got pulled into doing cryptocurrency returns. And some of my clients today are still back from 2018 are still, you know, enormous whale clients and really just wrestling with the tax challenges, looking at the tax law. Uh, I'm a registered with the IRS as an enrolled agent, which authorizes me to represent taxpayers before the IRS all over the world. So uh, there's no limit to my representation authorization. It's the highest level of certification that the IRS offers. And I have clients in 62 different countries, uh, all you know, crypto clients, tax clients. And so it, it gives me a unique perspective at the tax industry and the whole world of regulation and how it comes to bear on, uh, particularly in the crypto space. That's kind of how I got into it. I mean, my clients pulled me into it and it was just exciting uh, and dynamic space. And I enjoy digging into the law aspects of it because most accountants are just there to interpret the law. But as a, you know, having an advanced law degree, you know, I really dug in to a deeper level to look at what the tax code was saying, what the court cases were saying. So it's, it's very exciting. I find taxes are very exciting to me. Taxes are sexy. Now, I know most people are probably not familiar with what a enrolled agent is. Can you just kind of, you know, give us kind of the details there and, and how that benefits the clients? All right. So uh, if you're a CPA, you go to college four years, you take the CPA exam, you sit for three days of exam, maybe one hour of it is on taxes. When you're an enrolled agent, you sit through a three-day exam just on taxes. Now, I'm not trivializing the, the breadth of knowledge that the CPAs have, which is amazing. It's not what I have, but I'm very focused on taxes. And, and as a, uh, having a law degree, you know, I take it even to another level. So we can defend people in audits wherever they are in the world. I can defend them at the state level or at the federal level and uh, even have one client. We're defending him in a Bank Secrecy Act audit as well. So uh, it's, I guess, basically an enrolled agent is we help people who have problems with taxes in addition to we prepare tax returns. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it's definitely good to have you on the team, right? Yep. <laughs> so what I guess, you know, that leads into, you know, a lot of people are buying and selling crypto today, or they're looking to get into the game and they hear about the IRS and different taxes. You know, what is maybe the number one thing that people need to look out from a audit side? Well, the biggest risk with the audit is that you need to, first of all, report all your income. And there's a lot of services. I know you had the guys from Cointracker on here. She had great guy, great product. There's a couple, there's about a dozen products out there that all generate your capital gains report, but you need to report your income. And uh, 
far too many people are focused on how do I avoid taxes? <laughs> you know, and, 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 and believe me, uh, I've had uh, some staggering tax bills in my own personal life. Okay. So, but I will say this rather than focusing on the 20 to 40% that the government wants to take, you should also focus on the, you know, the 60 to 80% that you're keeping and, you know, focus on that, you know, and, and getting to zero tax makes for great articles, but, you know, 15% tax is really good. So the biggest concerns that people have are in this space. This year, uh, there's a new question on the IRS tax, uh, the 1040 tax return, you know, right after your address, they, before the, how much you made at your job is, did you receive, send, sell, or have any financial interest in cryptocurrencies? This question terrifies everybody. But guess what? That's why they put it there, to scare everybody. The IRS is having real struggles of making compliance. So, the, so a big aspect of what the IRS does to increase compliance by taxpayers is to scare them. And uh, that question is doing it. My particular feeling is that 70 to nine, 75 to 90% of all taxpayers should check yes. You know, if they participate in crypto in whatever manner, they should check the box. Well, everybody, everybody should check. Yes, uh, it doesn't say cryptocurrency. It says virtual currency. Freak, uh, we don't do this too much anymore, but airline frequent flyer miles are a form of virtual currency because they're convertible into cash. Same thing with your credit card reward points. You go down to the Safeway and, and use your Safeway card and you get a pan at the end of the year because you converted your points into dollars. That is virtual currency. So everybody should be checking yes. If you own a credit card, if you have virtual currency, just frequent flyer, you should check yes. It's this question is intended to be a fraud trap, a perjury trap. Somebody's gonna be scared because they, for whatever reasons, maybe they didn't report correctly in previous years. And so they check no. And so then if in fact you did say yes, You've committed fraud because when you sign your tax return, you, it says under penalty of perjury, I have read this return and the statements and it's complete, uh, true and accurate. So when you check no, you've committed fraud if, if in fact you did try to do with cryptocurrencies and you lose your statute of limitations protection for that entire year. So what so, are some... What are some other yes. Check yes. There's no yeah, check, check, no. check check the box yes. Check if you're yes. involved, and that'll help. You know, also that will help with uh, maybe an audit too. Correct? Because obviously they might be. Are they are they really getting some data from Coinbase and these other exchanges? Yes. The uh, the IRS has is right now. I'm defending 19 uh, taxpayers who are being audited by the IRS on their crypto reporting. They've come to be this is a, a big aspect of our practice at Crypto Tax Audit, and. The IRS has used a couple methods to identify taxpayers. First of all, if you submit an amended tax return, all amended returns are looked at by somebody. And if they start seeing you know, Bitcoin, that sort of stuff, it immediately goes over to the examination department. And uh, your, your likelihood of getting audited is five to 10 times greater than if you initially file a tax return electronically. Uh, so amended returns. The second thing is if you got a 1099 K form from Coinbase uh, or Uphold or any of those other exchanges, you know, your likelihood of being audited is, is big. I got about five people being audited on that 
Of course, they did this in 2018. Everybody lost money in 2018. But these 1099s say things like, this guy made $4 million. I'm talking to an auditor right now. She goes, I want that. He didn't report $4 million. So we did a, we revised this tax calculation. He said, no, he actually lost $17,000 and we want a refund. And, and so, you know, now they're backpedaling because auditors are measured on how much money they bring in each month in terms of taxes, penalties, and interest. So, you know, she picked this tax return. She thought, oh, you know, $3 million unreported. I'm going to make a killing. Now, all of a sudden, we're into refund mode. She's back. She's losing money on entertainment for the month. You know, so this is what happens. So, yeah, the 1099 case. And what's really interesting right now is you probably heard about the John Doe summons that went out to Kraken and Poloniac slash Circle, right? And they're demanding records on... American crypto traders going back to 2017. So this is really, I find shocking because they did this to Coinbase and Coinbase ponied up money and started issuing 1099Ks regularly for every year since then, except last year. But the IRS has not come out with 1099 standards for cryptocurrency exchanges. So now what they're doing is they're simply suing these guys to get all their data. They can get more data suing than they can developing a standard reporting format. So I don't, I hope the courts, I wish the courts push back on this. Kraken and Pol- Poloniex have said that they're just going to go along and, you know, respond and give them, be helpful. But I don't think it's a good strategy. So this is going to be another source of information. So they're going to find out from those two exchanges. And this is going to scare all the other U.S. exchanges to start to pony up data. So if you didn't file a 2000, your 1099, uh, if you got a 1099 or if you were an active trader and those other exchanges, you're exposed in past years. I think they're going to continue to ramp it up. Well, how does how does the you know, a lot of people are using the exchanges as like a fiat on ramp or off ramp. Right. So they might buy something there and then they send it to a you know a wallet off the exchange and then they're doing transactions there and then they might you know send something back to the exchange and sell it. So how are they? How can they properly track those 1099 statements if they're, you know, not all being done on the exchange? Well, it's totally misleading. I mean, it's totally misleading. I mean, like Coinbase was, okay, you deposited, money came in. All right, that's something we're going to report. Money went out. That's something we're going to report. I sold something. Well, the total proceeds will report that. So it's easy to get these astronomical 1099K numbers. But what the 1099K doesn't show is it doesn't, it, it, it reports any wallet-to-wallet transfers as, as proceeds, okay? So it's reporting that, even though there isn't, it's just a wallet-to-wallet transfer. Coinbase doesn't know what that other wallet address is, so it, it takes a worst-case scenario. Secondly, it's reporting the proceeds of a sale, but not the cost of the coin underneath it. Well, to Coinbase's uh, you know, defense, they may not know. You might have bought that coin on another mm-hmm. exchange. You transferred it, and now you sold it. And they don't know what the cost is. So this... So this you know, you basically get these enormous numbers. And if you're a high frequency trader, you could create staggeringly high numbers with just a little bit of money. It gets the IRS excited. And the best thing you could do is in your tax return is you want to use the software to report the fact that you did a 1099, that you got a 1099K. Because the tax software, even though your tax return may not list it, it's in the software when it's electronically transmitted. And the IRS has soft, has a program called the under-reporter application. It looks to make sure that all the 1099s they were told about have been accounted for in your tax return. So even though it's a ridiculous number, you need to report it 
And depending upon the tax software, you can tag it as not relevant or some other ways. But the, the worst thing you do is not list it in your tax software when you do the filing, because then you're just going to get an audit later. So, so besides, you know, making the election on the tax return and filing your taxes, I mean, what other steps can people take to prevent an audit or be in compliance? And maybe what software, you know, do you prefer to use? Well, yes, you should use a... a they call themselves tax softwares, but they're not. They're just gain calculation software, like, oh, like coin tracking, uh, coin tracker, coin tracking, acquainting. These are all great products out there. There's about a dozen of them. So you want to use those tools. Uh, those tools will not defend you in an audit. That's very important to know. They are not, if you get it audited, you know, they're not, they're, they're going to say, good luck. <laughs> you did the work yourself, right? These are do-it-yourself tools. So if we have our own company, we do calculation for our, our clients and we stand behind it. Second thing you can do is, and this is probably the most powerful thing you could do to protect yourself as a trader from an audit, is the simple fact of using a pen in a piece of, in a, in a spiral notebook, all right? And every time you trade, write down the date and what you did. I moved 10 ETH over to Uniswap and bought, you know, Chainlink. Just write it down. Don't, don't get precise. You're not going to be, but write it down. This is called a, a contemporaneous log. If you write it when it happens and the courts put tremendous value on that, now, why is that important? Well, particularly, it, it, it tracks what happens. It explains what you did. If I moved one Bitcoin from Coinbase to uh, KuCoin, you know, Coinbase is not going to know that it went to KuCoin. Only your written record is going to say that, okay? So and I can give you a horror story, that one audit that's gone bad because the guy hadn't done this. Uh, so, so just write everything that happened. This contemporaneous log has to be done as it happens. Don't do it on an Excel spreadsheet because it's the fact that it has your handwriting, the ink is changing, the handwriting's changing, and that it's done real time is tremendously powerful in an audit into court. And the third thing you can do is... To, uh, we have a service at CryptoTaxAudit.com that nobody else has, and it's revolutionary, where it's a monthly membership service. It's $35 a month, but we monitor your IRS uh, accounts on a weekly basis, and we can see when the IRS has flagged one of your tax returns for an audit. It could be crypto-related. It could be non-crypto-related, whatever. If we see that flag, then we notify you right away. On average, there's six months between when a flag is raised and an audit begins. And that gives us a chance to look at the return, fix whatever's lacking, refile it before the audit begins. And you can avoid the 20 to 40% accuracy penalty plus interest. So this is what a lot of people are saying. Hey, look, I'm not going to fix my past returns because I know it's going to attract an attend, uh, audit. So I'm just going to watch. And once I know the IRS is coming after me, then I will file it. I will, I will file the return then. So why throw good money after bad is what a lot of people are thinking. So this is a powerful tool. There's no other tool like this in, in the US. So I know everyone's got to be thinking, how do you have it or have access to this, right? Well, well uh, <laughs> a combination of products. Uh, there are a couple companies that tax professionals use that pull this transaction records. What we're using different is one company that we're working with actually has an, an analyst tool that pulls out the changes. But the IRS has recently improved their API that pulls this data. It used to be really slow. It used to be by fax. 
and then it was slow. And now we can pull like 10,000 records. I just, I pulled 25,000 records this morning and it got done in 20 minutes approximately. So we can really, we're really fast. We can see stuff. And also uh, it's married with some other, you know, unique uh, encrypted file sharing tools. We can, you can share with you, not only your transcripts, but also a consolidated report. And we do it, you know, it's all two factor authentication. So it's the marrying of a couple different technologies together. There's nobody else out there doing this really. I mean, there's a couple small guys in little areas, but not to the level that we've taken it. So we're, we're one of a kind here. And that's, that's all included in the nominal fee, uh, yeah, yeah, fee right? $35. And not only that, we've put out education to, when you're a member, you get a course on how to file your own crypto tax return using our bulletproof methodology, which is, you know, I charge people $2,000 for it. So we show you how to do it completely by yourself. It involves uh, our bulletproof methodology involves reporting the anti-money laundering forms, both the FBAR and the 8938. We also show you how to do a disclosure statement, which substantially reduces your chances of being audited. We, I have proof on this. And uh, we show you how to do it. We also show you how to use one of the IRS free file uh, software packages to do the filing. It's called online taxes. It's, it's 100% free, no matter how much much money you make to have uh, as many forms supported as online tax does. And it's just a superior product. And those companies don't want crypto traders because it jeopardizes their accuracy guarantee, which is all important to them. So yeah, so all this is free. We're trying to, there's more people that need my help than I can help. So we said, let's just give it away for free and let's give them the most advanced tools. We're monitoring your IRS uh, account on a weekly basis. We're showing you how to write a better tax return than any of the tax software packages or your local CPA can do, because they're not familiar with this, only two of the 10 professional software packages can support the forms that we're going to show you how to add into your tax return. So you know, your local CPA doesn't even have the ability in most cases to do this. And then we show you the tax software to do it. So, and we're putting out more courses. Our next course coming out is an overview on taxes. We have it, it's all done. It's gonna, it includes a, a, an analysis of Joe Biden's tax return, Hillary Clinton's tax return, Donald Trump and, Don, and Mike Pence uh, tax returns. We actually look at their disclosed tax returns and we practice reading it. And then we're having a course coming out on NFTs, how to report NFT income. So we're gonna make this the premier free site equipping tax uh, crypto traders uh, on how to defend themselves from the IRS. Well, let's just hope that none of us have to even get to that point, right? <laughs> right? We don't even want to have to defend. We don't want no letters, but you know. I'll tell you. I, well, here's here's why it happened. Here's this is this is a this is a true story. So I had a, a former IRS auditor work for me one year preparing tax returns. And these are complicated tax returns. And he always put in this uh, form 8275 disclosure statement, uh, which I'd never seen before. And it really is like, like a blank form. You're like, you know, just, just explain stuff. That's all it is. It's just blank lines. It's no better than a, you know, a ruled paper. But under Internal Revenue Code Section 6662B, if you have a disclosure statement and there's a challenge to how you did your tax return, you'll be, the IRS is prevented from hitting you with the 20 to 40% accuracy penalty. And he said, we always put this in there. And he said, you got to understand how auditors think. An auditor has maybe 50 to 100 returns. He can pick at any time which ones he wants to go after. He said, when we would look, and we're on quotas, every month, everyone in his department is rated in terms of who's bringing in the most, right? So you don't want to be in the bottom, right? <laughs> and this is, I mean, these guys don't get paid much. And the IRS is not a pleasant place to work, even internally. You don't want to be in the bottom. So the first thing you do is you're about to audit a return. You look to see if there's an 8275. That's what he said. If there's an 8275 form there, mm-mm. 
I put that one on the bottom of the pile and I wait for the statute of limitations to take it off my, te- my desk. And we don't even start it because it's going to be twice as much work and half the amount of uh, attainment on his quota. So that he taught me this. Now, we had a guy, we still have him. Uh, we amend, he paid his taxes in 2017. One of these rare guys, he paid all his taxes on cryptocurrency. We got together, we did like kind exchange. And I said, I could save you a lot of money. And we did like kind exchange, which was valid up to 2017. Yeah. And we prepared a return that would get him a refund of $400,000. Now, do you think the IRS is going to examine that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, there is an 8275 disclosure statement in there. It's about four or five pages long. And uh, he filed this return in December of 2019. In, of course, we had COVID in there. But in, on July of last year, it was flagged for an audit. Remember I said six months would be audited? Well, here it is. It's now uh, the very end of April. I'd be broadcasting this in a couple, in a month or so. But, you know, we're, we're 10 months into this. Audit hasn't begun. And if we wait basically six more months, he's home free. He gets the 400,000 and the auditor is not going to be bothered with this, right? So this is proof to me. If any, any return is going to be audited, it'd be this one. And it still hasn't happened. To me, this is proof that the 8275 works. And we've done it for about a thousand tax returns. This is the first one that we've ever seen flagged for an audit. So uh, I'm super, I'm convinced uh, that what my employee told me, the auditor told me is correct. And we teach people how to do this on the uh, the free course that we offer with, with uh, the crypto tax audit membership. So, you know, and there's only one of the free file software packages that lets you put this form in. TurboTax, Tax Act, H&R Block, none of them support it. So, you know, I'm giving, this is, this is rich stuff. I'm showing you. I'm, I'm not hiding this stuff. I mean, my competitors can copy me if they want. Your tax <laughs> software doesn't support the form. All right. So why do you, why do something second grade? I mean, the best you're, you are safer preparing your own tax return using the methods I just told you about, and then letting your accountant review it, then you are to let him do it because he doesn't know what he's doing. So, you know, I mean, I did a presentation on the AICPA, the American Institute of CPAs. I said 95% of them wanted nothing to do with cryptocurrencies. And I was told by the other accountants that, yeah, that's probably right. It's probably a higher number than that. So, you know, you are safest learning to prepare your own tax return and you should learn to prepare your own tax return. I mean, it, it will teach you a lot about finance. I agree. Just like managing your own books for your small business or whatever, it, it helps you along the way. What yeah. uh, I know you mentioned FBAR and I've heard different opinions on that, right? And with crypto being considered a property, kind of what are the rules around who needs to file and why? That's a good question. So uh, Title 31 of the tax code 1010.350 is where the FBAR law is. And uh, it to me, it's very clear. If you have a an account at a financial institution that's not in the U.S., you need to report it. Now, the question is, what's a financial institution? What's an account? I mean, you know, crypto just tears apart all these these old nomenclature, to be sure. But, you know... It, it's hard not to say, in my opinion, it's hard not to say, you know, I have a, an account at Bitstamp, you know, it's in the UK, it's an account. I log on, I don't have a, an account number, I log on with my email address, you know, and, and it's an account. Everybody calls it an account. So it's, to me, it's a pretty compelling argument that we should be filing. However, the government accounting office in the TIGTA, the uh, Tax Administration uh, Attorney General have both come out and attacked or criticized the IRS 
and FinCEN for not making this clear about what should be done with cryptocurrency reporting in these anti-money laundering forms. And the they, IRS responded to that and said, we're going to come out with some more information explaining that. They said this back in springtime, uh, actually February of last year. So nothing further has come out from IRS. So in my opinion, I think it's safest to report these forms. These forms are not, the IRS does not search on these forms, but when they're, they found a, a taxpayer of interest, then they go look at it. They actually have to file some paperwork to go get to the FBAR data. So it's not a, it's only when you're under investigation that they're going to catch you on it. So it, if you underreport or if you don't report, you're exposed. But if you overreport, well, you're safe. You know, I mean, to me, this is the easiest way for the IRS to audit people is to hit them on FBAR violations, you know, and, and force it up to the courts to make a determination. Now, that being said, in uh, I believe January of this year, FinCEN came out with a press release. At the, the press release was very short. Uh, basically, the second paragraph of the press release said that they were to come out with guidance on how individuals should be reporting their cryptocurrencies on the FBAR form. Okay. The first paragraph said, up until now, you know, it has not been required to report cryptocurrencies on the FBAR form. Well, that is very, you know, this is a press release from FinCEN uh, asserting what everybody's been asking. And they're saying, oh, it wasn't good enough. So if, you know, I, so if I have a client who gets attacked, I pull that thing out. Right. But my my recommendation for all clients is to file the FBAR, file the 8938. Just because they haven't told you what to do doesn't mean you're excused from not obeying the law. Same way, if you're driving on a freeway, you don't see a speed limit doesn't mean you go as fast as you want. Right. So you're expected to obey the laws that you know about. Ignorance is no excuse for not obeying the law. So let's roll into maybe two of the hottest topics, and that is DeFi and NFTs and yeah, obviously there's a big craze and with DeFi, there can ultimately be a lot of transactions, whether short-term, long-term, ordinary interest, whatever it may be. Uh, let's go into DeFi first. You know, how should people approach DeFi and their taxes currently? Ooh, this is very dangerous. The problem you have with DeFi is that when we do tax returns, we need to correlate the purchase and the sale of all transactions. And we need to have context, what was happening. When you're trading on Coinbase, you already have context. Uh, I traded this Bitcoin for that Ethereum. I mean, I have that context, but you don't really have that the same way in certain in a lot of the types of DeFi transactions. You not it's not apparent what's happening. The the nature you can see the contract, but you don't necessarily know what is behind the contract. And as you get into more sophisticated instruments like yield farming, balancer, curve. Uh, some of these things, you're talking about a financial product that's very sophisticated. It's, it's as sophisticated, more sophisticated than what, you know, uh, accredited investors might be offered from Goldman Sachs. I mean, very sophisticated things are happening here. The tax code is not well structured to handle sophisticated financial products. And I've read several legal documents about this, about the challenges. They do have things about derivatives. They do have things about futures documents, uh, but they limit it to registered exchanges, typically stocks and bonds. So since we're not playing in that field, uh, it all of a sudden it's a wide open space. There's no real clear rules. The IRS, the tax code in the U.S. is very heavily organized around gain that's realized and whether an income that's realized. So if you get paid, cash hits your bank account, that's realized. 
If I have a coin, I sell it and I get money or another coin for it. That's realized gain. But when I'm dealing with derivatives, then I'm not really selling my original product. I'm selling something that's related to it. And I may never, I might be getting coins from it, but I don't really know if I have a permanent or an impermanent gain, a permanent or impermanent gain until I finally close my position. So if you have a position open till the end of the year, you can't really say if you made money or not. So this creates extremely complicated situations. So uh, there are the tax gain software that we mentioned before. They all like pull stuff off the address. They will you know, try to correlate some things, but they're trying to apply the same sort of gain loss calculations that worked on the exchange business onto these DeFi blockchains. And it doesn't work. It creates a lot of problems, a lot of complexity. And the fact of the matter is it isn't how it works. What we do is we create basically a 10 page document. Most of it's just descriptive, but we summarize the set of investment products that you're using. You're using uh, you know, uh, an ETH die 70, 30, you know, blend yield farming. You're staking this, you are doing this, you're using Ave or compound on this and that. So we summarize it all. And the amount of coins that were in and came out during the year, giving you a bottom line amount, which says, this is what your bottom line, short gain, long gain, and income was for the entire year. And just those three lines go over to your tax return. You don't have to attend thousands of transactions of capital gain, spend your time classifying that stuff because we look at it more from an aggregate. In fact, this document, if you read it, it basically summarizes what you did last year. And what we see that as is a, we call it a modular DeFi instrument where what you've done with DeFi trading is you've created your own complex financial product in a modular way, self-directed, and we basically summarize the entire result of what you did on your blockchains. Different approach, and we defend this in, in court with, you know, in an audit, so, which is something that nobody else is doing. So you would say that most of the investors w- would be participating under a short-term capital gain type of situation when they're in DeFi? Well, so, so let's say I take 100 ETH and I stake it. What the online services are doing is they'll then, you then get a liquidity pool token. So they'll treat that as a exchange. They might call mm-hmm. it a non-taxable exchange, but they basically treat it inside their application. You've given up your ETH and you've now got this liquidity pool token. You do what you will with it and then it comes back. You take that liquidity pool token and you're going to get 100 ETH back. But but they treat that as another transaction. Whereas in our opinion is I put the ETH there. I never gave up the ETH. There was never an exchange that was never sold. And I, my holding period, which is how long I've owned it, uh, should never change. So I should be able to put my, I should go buy ETH, put it there and the holding period continue and grow even when I take it out. So what the, all these products Sadly, all these products are treating them as capital, short-term capital gains events. So short-term is taxed higher than long-term. So if you just take the, you know, everybody's struggling with a problem. I'm not saying they're doing things wrong. It's just that the blockchain does not contain enough information to generate by itself automatically a tax document. You have to put your head into it. You have to classify things. And we've taken a whole different approach to that. We basically aggregated the numbers as a complex financial instrument to summarize the net overall gain, which I think is a little bit more honest way to look at it. You know, what was the bottom line? And and that breakdown is typically just in a short-term or a long-term capital gain situation. Is there any interest or any other 
Areas. That would be ordinary income. Yeah, ordinary income. Interest, it's, you know, it's interest, yeah, interest, rewards, whatever. Because you might have, you might have a contract that's generating, that's on your blockchain, but it's spinning out rewards over to another address. So that's not really going to appear when we pull the blockchain address. So we pull that information back in and we aggregate it. So what happens with our approach, as opposed to using the gain calculation products that are out there, there's about six of them, is that we're not going to, we're going to preserve long-term gains. We're not going to force artificial short-term gains, and we're not going to engage in like-kind exchange, which is what a, a non-taxable exchange is that they're doing. That, that's been banned. So, and they're using a, a practice that is not in the tax code anymore. So it, it, but bottom line is really complex product, and it needs to be treated that way. It doesn't reduce to simple realization. And any thoughts on how to, I guess, in the process, the way you're doing it, you're going to kind of minimize taxes somewhat, right? Because where the other software might be processing each transaction as a exchange. If your ETH is still in that liquidity pair, then you're going to not, it's not going to be a realized gain yet. Correct? Exactly. Exactly. We're, we typically come up with much lower taxable results, significantly lower tax results in many cases over the typical tax calculation. I have a lot of people that come to me and they've spent a thousand dollars, you know, doing this analyze analysis and pairing things up. And they're like, they're just throwing their hands up because it's extremely complicated. So, but our approach, you actually get a document that, that, you know, three years later, if you're being audited, you can read this document and say, yeah, this is what I did. This you know, this little paragraph explains all the different investments I did. And this summarizes all the coins that went in, all the coins that went out, and what the net taxable event is of the, of the positions that were closed. So we think it's it's something that we could defend because it actually is cogent. It explains what we did. And if an auditor tries to pull it apart, it'll be very difficult. You should know that the blockchain is not your friend during an audit. It took a few years, but people are finally catching on. You know, the early guys, I think they all thought that uh, they could kind of get away with that all. But now everyone kind of, you know, has lightened up to know what's going on. I'll tell you, uh, here's an audit story. I had a guy who uh, back in 2017, he liked to play with software audits or software wallets uh, and physical wallets. And so he would play with them and then he would throw them away to get another one. He'd play with them. And... uh, the auditor said, all your transfers from these different addresses, we're going to treat as income. He said, no, they're not income. They were my coins. I was playing with these wallets. And he said, you can't prove to us those addresses connect to these wallets. You claim you still had. And so he's significantly exposed. Uh, all those actions were treated as income by the auditor. It's a very aggressive position because the blockchain is anonymous. It doesn't really tell you who that party was that you were trading with. So you know, we need to have blockchain that's instrumented with the informa- with the KYC information and the tax information we need to protect ourselves because because really the blockchain it does you know when you have a wa- you know a transfer from a wallet address well what address was that I have no idea you can't, was it was it KuCoin was it DeFi was it some someone else you can't the blockchain is not helping you so auditors can really go to town on this if they knew what they were doing all right and so let's go over to the other side of NFTs which is a little obviously a little different play but uh, you know hot, hot hot on the market right now you know for the creators that are creating these you know what type of income does that create. It's very complex because the tax code is complex. The first question we have is what is it that is the underlying asset that's being represented here? Is it a piece of art? Is it a piece of music? Is it an electronic representation or, or is, it, uh, is it intangible or is it tangible? 
And from a short-term basis, they're all taxed the same, which is short-term gains, if you hold up to a year, is taxed at your ordinary income tax bracket. But when we go into long-term, then it changes a little bit. So there is typically your tax, your long-term tax rate is 15%, 20% on the high end. If your NFT represents a piece of art, what the code says, a, a work of art, a rug, uh, a, a collectible of different types, then the tax, the long-term tax rate is actually higher, 28%. Now for wealthy people who would be trading Van Goghs and this sort of thing, 28% is a reduction, right? It's actually matches up to the alternative minimum tax. But for the average taxpayer, that would be a higher rate, all right, than you would normally expect to pay. So that's an issue. Now the question then comes down to, well, what if I'm not trading a piece of art? What if I'm trading an electronic image, a JPEG of something? It's not really a collectible. There's some wording in the collectible language in the Internal Revenue Code, Section 1H, where it talks about other physical pieces of art. So the, they, the word physical is introduced. So what about intangibles? You know, is that really, up, does the 28% rate apply to it? If you're talking about music, uh, well, specifically, the music is called out that the 28% rate does not apply to it. Well, what is a collectible? I mean, we know NFTs are all scarce items, but does that make it collectible just because it's scarce? You know, is that the purpose? You know, I have collectibles. I might have some, you know, figurines on my counter, right? That's a collectible, right? A bunch of JPEGs in my rareable wallet. Yeah, I'm not really sure that's a collectible, right? So the, uh, the other issue is we start to get into what's starting to happen with special purpose companies that are being created to own JPEGs. Well, now I'm investing in a company. The company itself buys uh, the NFT. The company never sells the NFT. The company sells its share of ownership. So now what am I buying and selling? I'm buying a piece of a company. If I owned it for over a year, now I'm selling it. I'm going to get regular long-term capital gains rates. So the NFT space is very complicated. Now, having said that, you know, would an auditor know the difference looking at your list of transactions? Probably not. <laughs> I feel like that it's like everything, uh, you know, like DeFi everywhere, right? It's like always like this gray area It's not in the black and white yet. Uh, you know, when it comes to the regulatory bodies, it's more like they're just waiting for to see what the problems that will exist. So then they could kind of build the law around that. Right. Yes. The uh, the internal what the IRS and the, actually the Department of Treasury is doing is they're waiting on the financial action task force which uh, is an international regulatory body that establishes the anti-money laundering policies that the IMF forces all the countries in the world to obey, including the U.S. So they first came out and said, well, all assets should be treated as physical assets. And they treated NFTs as they said, you really don't, you, you're worried about the fungible assets. The non-fungible assets don't really have a secondary market we have to worry about. Well, this all has changed. And, you know, the, the Financial Action Task Force came out in February and said, no, we're very concerned about NFTs and we're concerned about DeFi transactions. And what the problem here from a regulatory issue is that it's being regulated at, a, at an international level. These are countries that own little chunks of the earth. They defy into who I own this piece, you own that piece. And so the law is all structured around geographical orientation. Well, DeFi, you know, and just decentralized autonomous organizations have no geographical boundaries. They are neither American nor are they non-American. Right? I mean, where are they? You know, because it's uh, because 
it's as much in America as it would be outside America. So how do we apply the terms of not in the U.S., which is defined in geographical borders? It's, it breaks everything down. It really threatens international legal screens. So what the Financial Action Task Force is saying now is they want to go after the people that create DeFi. They want to go after them for creating, for failure to capture, know your client, due diligence information. So the people who create the protocol have a legal obligation. So for example, the people who wrote Uniswap should have a legal obligation for failing to get the KYC information for all the people who use Uniswap. Well, hey, you know, that'll never happen, right? <laughs> you know, Uniswap happens to be a US company. Uh, so, you know, you know that they're not doing that because they're not an exchange. FinCEN never said it applied to them. You know, the cat's out of the bag, can't pull the protocol back anymore. It's self-governing. You know, so it, this is kind of the straws the international community is trying to grasp at with regulations. I mean, crypto really is undermining the overall rule of law in the or structure of law internationally by attacking geographical borders, which is the biggest weakness of our international legal system. No, I agree. I mean, let's, and, and, you know, why don't we go with what are, you know, what is the number one or two things that people today can do to minimize their tax on all these different types of transactions that we're talking about? Well, that is, uh, I get that question all the time. <laughs> That's everyone wants to know. How do I minimize people it? People have bought XRP. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, all their money in one coin and it's going up. Well, there are, it breaks down into a couple of categories. What's in the law, what's outside the law. Not, not necessarily, some of the outside the law is legal, some of it's not legal. Inside the law, pretty much long-term capital gains is what the government wants you to do. You know, that's what that's that really reduces your taxes significantly, 40% in most cases. The second thing, then you start to go outside what the law prescribes. And typically this is residence-based. So, you know, move out of a state like North Carolina that's going to tax your income, or California or New York. Go to those nine states that have no tax. Though so if you're in a position where you can move to one of those states, at least you eliminate the state tax of your capital gains, still the federal, but you don't have the overlay of the state. The third option there that's in the legal category is uh, relocating to Puerto Rico. They have the Act 20 tax incentives. Uh, it's a very complex set of residency rules, but basically the gains that you experience after you arrive in Puerto Rico can be tax-free if you qualify for the Act 20, Act 22 rules. I will say this though, I recommend that only if you've already realized a million or a million and a half in gains because there's a lot of cost in doing this and that cost pulls away from your gains and the real estate in Puerto Rico has gotten really expensive. <laughs> a lot of rich people are moving there and the prices are skyrocketing. So, uh, but yeah, but that would be, but there, there's a lot of gotchas on that. It's not just don't think you can fly to Puerto Rico and, and make a million. So those are the major rules. Now, when you get into sophisticated things, then you can say like you, you, you know, stake your coins and live off the staking income for years, uh, put your assets, that that's that would be pretty much a, a bigger one. It's like instead of selling, uh, why don't you go to if you've made a lot of money, stake it and start to generate an ongoing income stream and don't sell the core assets. Let them grow, let them appreciate. I mean, most of us think that you know Bitcoin's gonna hit six-digit numbers. Ethereum, they talk about six-digit numbers, not this year, maybe the year after, after that. If that's your belief, 
Well, let it sit, let it ride and live off the interest. That's what the wealthy people do. I like that. That's kind of what has been going around on Twitter ever since, uh, you know, Biden came out and was talking about his high tax rate. Everyone's like, well, just hold the assets forever, right? Or take a loan out, <laughs> take a loan out against it, right? Nobody right. sell. No, we said, let's talk Biden. All right, so we're today it's uh, uh, April 27th. Uh, supposedly, he's going to release this week his tax plan. But they've been talking about this, you know, uh, increasing the capital gains rate, increasing the business tax. They've been talking about this before they've even announced the details. Now, this is for all your listeners. If people are paranoid, they're scared about this. <laughs> if we haven't learned anything in the last four years from Donald Trump, it's that you never believe anything he says. Only watch what he does. He And he is a, he's written books on negotiation. He always came out with an outrageous position up front that got people angry. And he held to that position, even though people spent all their time arguing about it. He never cared about that position. He cared about this position over here. This is what he was leveraging for. And he kept hammering this one to get concession over here. The fact that the Biden administration is, you know, or in the news media, is hyping this you know, increase in the capital gains is uh, how, how we call it, the tail wags the dog strategy, all right? So, uh, you know, there is something that's going to come out in that plan. It's something that's going to be money under the table. It's going to, you know, it's it's the larder. Uh, it's, you know, find that. Ignore the capital gains thing. That's a distraction. That's a negotiation point. It's, a, it's also a massive media distraction. Look at what they're trying to get you to swallow hook, line, and sinker. That's where the issue is. Forget this capital gains tax rate, and it won't bring in any money anyhow. I mean, first of all, you know, people are too you, smart. That the people are too people smart. smart. <laughs> what will happen if you jack the rate up real high? Well, people will stop selling things. Is that good for the economy? No. You know, uh, and the smart people won't be bothered by that. They'll find the loophole. They'll say, "Well, let's put let's put my assets in the name of a trust, yeah. and then I'll sell it from a trust." The wealthy people won't be bothered by that. It's the middle, the emerging middle upper class that are going to get burned by this sort of silliness. But but mind you, these sorts of bills only get passed in a year where there's no elections. That'll be this year. They're going to do it typically like they did last time, 2017. It's going to be in November and December. If they're not talking that issue in November, December, then you know that bill is not going anywhere. When Trump got his tax law changed in 2017, that's the first time it been changed in 41 years. All right, there are massive issues in the tax code, and they bundle it all together. And Donald Biden does not have the authority to change the tax code. Tax code is made by Congress. There's a joint committee on taxation, House and Senate together. Cooler heads will prevail in all of this, rest assured. Yeah, I agree. Everyone gets all worked up over everything very easily through the media. And uh, at the end of the day, it's never as bad as you know people think it's going to be, right? Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, for closing, you know, final question, we always leave off with all of our great guests. You know, what is the biggest thing you have implemented in your life that's increased your net worth? Working. I like it. I like it. And even right if you have millions, you still want to work. Everybody works. I mean, you know, even, you know, not, not exactly the right parallel, but you go to like an organization like Amway, you know, even the top guy has to sell soap, right? That's everybody contributes. So yeah, you've made a fortune. Don't retire. I mean, as long as you can work and do things, as long as you can think, then you should work. Maybe you find a better job that you like. 
But as long as you're capable, don't don't retire on your money. I mean, because then you're like shutting your brain off and just waiting for the the Grim Reaper to come. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, you. Uh, I mean, if you're 60, if you're 70, and you know, go back to work. I mean, enjoy it. I mean, it's it, it stimulates the mind. It creates creativity, and, and you could pay for your daily expenses. Save all that money, and to have a comfortable life, to not worry. Pay off your mortgage. Pay off your debts. Live debt free stockpile it, but you got to do it by continuing to work. There will be down years. And when you have a job, it'll carry you through all those down years. So works. I'm still young, but I'm definitely seeing that uh, through the elderly. The, the longer you participate, typically the better you're off you are. Exactly. You got to have a constant inflow from work. All right. Get a job that spins off cash, pay off your debts. That's big. And you won't be beholden to anybody. The biggest freedom you can experience in your life is to pay off your debt and uh, not have a mortgage and do that. And then just let watch the money stockpile. It's incredible. And one last thing is, you know, are you just as bullish as everybody else for the rest of this year on crypto or what's your thought? Uh, (laughs) I'm not a very good investor. uh, So I can't do a lot of those sorts of things. Uh, I've been around a lot. And I, what I I do believe that cryptos have a long-term growth potential to them. I don't think the bull market's over. I think because we're seeing substantial realignment in assets, we're still seeing a significant influx of, uh, well, still, but we're seeing a significant influx of corporate money into it. Uh, today, uh, one of the big banks came out and said that they're going to, Jimmy Diamond's going to offer Bitcoin funds for his for his clients, right? So this is, this is big. Uh, the money is there and it doesn't take much to keep those things going. Now, you know, I am a believer that, you know, the, the, in uh, keep it simple, keep it something you can understand. If you don't understand your investment, don't invest in it. Well, I like those. I like that. I like that final words. Uh, well, look, there's a lot of listeners. They probably want to get a hold of you. What is the best way or the best website to go to? I recommend everybody go to Crypto Tax Audit, become a subscriber uh, because you get all the things that we talked about. In, in, but then uh, people who need to uh, have us prepare their tax returns, they can call us at DonnellyTaxLaw.com. Crypto Tax Audit is CryptoTaxAudit.com. Donnelly Tax Law is where we do our prepare, return preparation and our DeFi work at this point. So you schedule a call and you can, you can talk to me. All right, Clint, I appreciate coming on. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks. Love it, Joe. Thanks. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show.